You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Welcome again as we continue to work our way through texts which have been associated with the idea that hell lasts forever in some form or fashion. In this episode, we will look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the reason this parable is so important is because there's a very significant detail in this parable that's become an important part of the argument for an eternal hell from which there is no escape. This parable, found in Luke 16, 19-31, features a wealthy man who ignores the plight of a poor beggar named Lazarus. The rich man, after he dies, goes to a fiery place of judgment, complete with an uncrossable chasm which seems to separate the rich man and the beggar in eternity. Here is the parable as it appears in the 2011 version of the NIV, the New International Version, which is a popular translation among evangelicals. I want to emphasize that what I'm reading here is the 2011 version of the NIV because since 2011, the editors of the NIV have updated a very significant detail in the parable. But before we go any further, let's hear now the parable as it has appeared in the NIV since 2011. This is again Luke 16:19 through 21. There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, if you were really listening, you might have noticed that the rich man, after he died and was buried, was said to be in Hades, in torment, on the other side of an uncrossable chasm. However, and here's the really important part, if you perhaps were an evangelical reader of the New International Version before 2011, 
you would have read that the rich man, after he was died and was buried, was said to be in hell, not in Hades. And that would have fit in perfectly with your understanding of hell as a place of eternal separation in conscious torment on the other side of a chasm that nobody can cross. But then in 2011, if you were that same evangelical and had gotten a new NIV, you would have found out that the rich man was not in hell anymore, but in a place called Hades. Why the switch? What's going on? What happened to hell? And why was it replaced with Hades? The answer to these questions lies in the way that the Bible was originally translated into English and how it was that the parable of the rich man and Lazarus was an important scripture used to support the idea of a hell from which there is no possible return. The King James Version, which led the way for English translations of the Bible, used the word hell to translate the word Hades, the place where the rich man went. And by using the word hell to translate the word Hades, that brought with it all of the medieval baggage surrounding that word hell. The King James Version was a standard version for evangelicals, and when the NIV translation was done, it kept that same translation of that passage here in this parable, because I believe this parable played an important role in arguing for a hell of eternal conscious torment which has pretty much been the standard way evangelicals have viewed hell. However, the word Hades is really there in the original language, and even the evangelically influenced NIV has adjusted its translation and recognized this, even though it hurts the case for the standard evangelical definition of hell being eternal conscious torment. And so in 2011, The NIV changed their translation. They translated Hades as Hades because that's what's in the text, and they stopped translating Hades as hell. And that's significant because this parable, with its supposed reference to hell, has long been used to defend the idea of the eternal separation of the damned. And the ability to point all of this out is one of the reasons I chose the NIV, the New International Version, as the primary translation for my book. My full reasons for choosing the NIV were, one, it's a standard translation for Bible-believing evangelicals, and I wanted to show that I could make a strong argument for Christian universalism even from the NIV. Two, the NIV provides good examples of the way in which theological presuppositions and translation decisions can influence the way the Bible is understood. And three, the NIV is a good translation to use because it shows just how much distance there can sometimes be between the literal Greek of the New Testament and some of the most commonly used Bible translations that we have today. So, even though I'm not an evangelical, I chose the NIV, a favorite translation of evangelicals, in order to be able to demonstrate all of those things. As I said, I'm not an evangelical. If I was to give myself a label, The best labels for me would probably be mainline Protestant or liberal Protestant or progressive Christian. And those of us on the more progressive side of the Christian fence, if I can put it that way, usually prefer the New Revised Standard Version as the primary English translation we work with. However, the more I've gotten into trying to really understand the Bible, 
the more I've come to appreciate more literal, kind of clunky interpretations which capture the awkwardness and strangeness and the energy of the original Greek text of the New Testament. So, along those lines, in order to get a better sense of the original text, I've really started gravitating to more literal translations such as Young's Literal or the Concordant Literal or one I've discovered recently, Jonathan Mitchell's translation of the New Testament. And I especially like David Bentley Hart's The New Testament, a translation. I also like to consult online interlinear versions of the New Testament, such as the one on BibleHub.com, which provide the original Greek text plus an English transliteration. They also identify verb tenses and help with grammar. So now back to our conversation, in which it has come to light that the rich man did not go to hell after death in the parable. If that had been the case, we would have seen that the rich man went to Gehenna in the original Greek, which is the place which is more associated with a final place of separation. But the rich man ended up in Hades, and Hades is not Gehenna. Hades is not hell. Hades, as it was understood back then, was simply the realm of the dead. Another way of putting it is that Hades, a Greek word, was the equivalent of the Hebrew concept of Sheol, the general abode of the dead. Brad Jerzak, in his book, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, gives a great overview of Gehenna and Hades, and I strongly recommend his book. The title of the book, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, is based on a verse from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 25, which describes the New Jerusalem and how its gates will never be shut, a powerful image of openness and possibility and hope. Brad Jerzak has made a very interesting scholarly journey from evangelical fundamentalism to the Eastern Orthodox Church. He refrains from calling himself a Christian universalist because he's concerned that the term universalism has a non-Christian ring to it for lots of people. But he does consider himself someone whose strong opinion is that God will finally achieve an ultimate redemption in which all people will be restored in Christ. Admittedly, it is a fine distinction between a Christian universalist and a Christian who is strongly convinced of ultimate redemption. But it's an understandable one in a highly contested theological world where fine distinctions can often be very important. The full title of Brad's excellent book is her gates will never be shut. Hope, hell, and the New Jerusalem. Brad's book has become an important contribution in the discussion about the possibility of a universal salvation because he does such a good job in the book of setting the whole conversation in historical context, especially regarding the background of important concepts like Gehenna and Hades. For an example of Brad's scholarly detail, here is the definition of Sheol, he gives in Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Jerzak writes, In the Old Testament, Sheol, Hades in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, can refer to death or the grave where everyone goes, righteous or wicked, Psalm 16.10, but the faithful hope to be rescued from it, also Psalm 16.10. Sometimes it is under the earth, Isaiah 7.11, 57.9, Ezekiel 31.14, and Psalm 86.13. Under the mountains, Job 26.5, under water, Jonah 2.7, or far from heaven, Job 11.8, Amos 9.2, Psalm 139.8. It is monotonous and gloomy, 
Job 3:17-19, a place of sorrows, Psalm 18:5, a place for the wicked, Psalm 9:17, Isaiah 14:9 through 19, parallel to destruction, Proverbs 15:11, or a place of torment, Luke 16:23. It can be a pit, an abyss, or a prison, Ezekiel 31:16-17. In the New Testament, Hades may still refer to either death or the place where the dead are confined until Judgment Day, Revelation 20.13. It can be a place of conscious torment opposite to paradise or the bosom of Abraham, Luke 16.22-23. A fate reserved for the unregenerate, Matthew 11.23, Luke 10.15. Hades also represents the forces of darkness that oppose the church. Matthew 16:18 Hades is finally exterminated in the lake of fire Revelation 6:8 and Revelation 20:14 Now that's an awful lot of background about Hades but all of that background about Hades is important because when we are talking about Hades we need to know that we are talking about a very long backstory that goes back into the Hebrew conception of Sheol And another thing that we really need to know, as Brad Jerzak points out, is that the book of Revelation in 20, verse 14, has it that Hades itself is thrown into the lake of fire. Think about that for a moment. Hades being thrown into the lake of fire. Talk about an image that's hard to process. But I think that the image of Hades being cast into the lake of fire shows us that Hades was never a final destination. That Hades itself was able to be cast into the lake of fire shows me that Hades had a limited place and function in the spiritual landscape of the ancient biblical world. So when I put all of this together for myself today, I see that Hades represents death and consequence, but it's not anyone's eternal destination, and therefore it can't be a place of eternal torment. And so it seems to me that the main thrust of Jesus' parable about the rich man and Lazarus was to underscore the importance of caring for the poor and not getting so wrapped up in luxury that we stop seeing them or thinking about them. And so the parable functions more like a common folk tale of that age, complete with its understanding of an underground abode of the dead. The point being to see the importance of caring for the poor, which was a main focus in Jesus' teaching. Another aspect of Hades, the abode of the dead, that I find hopeful is that we are told in 1 Peter that Jesus descended to the abode of the dead after his crucifixion in order to proclaim the gospel there. 1 Peter 3, 19-20 and 1 Peter 4, 6 describe how Jesus, between his crucifixion and his resurrection, went and visited imprisoned spirits in the realm of the dead. What these passages from 1 Peter actually mean has been widely debated. But these passages tell me something important about the uncrossable chasm in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. It tells me that even though the chasm of death can't be crossed by regular people, it can be crossed by Jesus, because Jesus is truly man and also truly God. And therefore, even the realm of the dead, even Hades, is not off-limits to Jesus. That uncrossable chasm, as it turns out, is not uncrossable for Jesus. New Testament scholar Udo Schnell, in his Theology of the New Testament, has this to say about the descent to the dead passages 
in 1 Peter, writing, Jesus' preaching to the spirits in prison and his preaching the gospel to the dead, his descent to the spirits in prison, makes clear that even the realms of guilt, death, and the past are not excluded from Christ's domain. I like that. Even the realms of guilt, death, and the past are not excluded from Christ's domain. And maybe that's the bottom line here. Nothing is out of bounds for Jesus. Jesus goes anywhere he wants to go, past, present, future, this side of the grave, the other side of the grave. Jesus speaks to anyone he wants to speak to, sinner, saint, tax collector, Pharisee, beggar, emperor. And Jesus rescues anyone he wants to rescue. There is no low, too low for Jesus, no place he won't go to rescue one of his lost sheep. So, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, it's a tough one for Christian universalism to deal with. But once we see that the rich man went to Hades and not hell, and once we see that Hades isn't off limits to Jesus, then I think we can see our way through to taking the parable of the rich man and Lazarus for what it is, a warning about how wealth and security can make us indifferent to the plight of the poor but not necessarily evidence that there are some even Jesus cannot rescue. For today's episode, I'll let David Bentley Hart give the final words. Listen for how David's summation of the good news of Christianity incorporates the idea that the deliverance Jesus brings even extends to the depths of Hades. Hart writes, For the earliest Christians, the story of salvation was entirely one of rescue all the way through, the epic of God descending into the depths of human estrangement to release his creatures from bondage to death, penetrating even into the heart of Hades to set the captives free and recall his prodigal children and restore a broken creation. That quote is from David's 2019 book, That All Shall Be Saved. I hope you found it encouraging. And so as we bring things to a close for this episode, I invite you to take the warnings in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus seriously. I invite you as well to hear the good news that Jesus is the ultimate rescuer and there is no depth to which he will not go. And I also invite you to continue joining with me in believing in a grace that saves all. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.